everyone has a story to share. In fact, there are some stories that are so interesting and so powerful that they need to be shared. You know, God has been giving out book ideas lately. In fact, I'm I'm in a couple of writing groups because there are so many people who are writing these books that God is wanting to birth. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about when God gives you an idea to write a book, what does that look like? How how do you go about doing it? And, and especially, how do you share a story that to some people would think now, that's just stupid. Well, that's the name of the book that my guest, Deborah Taylor, has written, which is, I think, just a fabulous book. And she's here to talk about how something that was birthed in her mind became birthed on earth. So when we talk to the author and the finisher of Every Perfect Works, he does what he says. So welcome so much, Deborah. Thank you so much for coming on to Touch by Prayer. I am so honored to have you on here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I think it's amazing the way our paths crossed. Thank you, social media. Yes. And Mike. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it's so, it's funny because, you know, God has such a way of connecting people. And actually, we, we actually have some, some mutual friends, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's just so cool how, like, all of a sudden, from mutual friends, somebody kind of pops up and says, hey, they just wrote a book. Hey, wouldn't it be great to have one on your show? And, <laughs> and that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what happened. Um, Michael Van Blyman, who is a, a friend of the show, um, he's friends with, uh, with Deborah and his wife, Gordina. And um, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, she actually, I think she posted something that you just wrote this book, correct? Yes. Yes. She is such a great friend. She's actually my hairdresser uh-huh. as well, believe it or not. But I tell her that she's my divine angel behind the chair. Oh. Because she has saved me over the years and just guided me and treats me like her daughter. Well, I have asked, I have requested. So if you can, next time you go for a haircut, just say, hey, I think it's time for you to come on her show because we would love, I would love to have her on the show. I would love to, to talk to her. But my, my question to you, Deborah, is mm-hmm. so, so here you are talking to her, you know, getting your hair done. Mm-hmm. How, how did this book idea kind of start? Well, you know, she's always guided me. I have really two influential people in my world that have guided me on a spiritual level. Just I was raised to go to church, but it wasn't always um, a teaching going on in our home. And so these two individuals, she is one of them, as well as a friend of mine. She um, she kind of guides me when I'm not always understanding what's going on. I will say something and she will convert it to or she it never a, a time never goes by that she doesn't say you know that's God trying to tell you this <laughs> you know that's God trying to tell you this and I'm like go down I don't want to hear that right now I don't want to hear that because I, I don't want to hear what he's got to say right now and she's like oh it's gonna get louder and it's gonna get stronger so I kind of was going through another transitional time and I said you know I think I'm going to write a book what do you think about that and she's, I could tell her I'm going to part the Red Sea and she'd be behind it. I mean, she's always my greatest cheerleader. And I said, no, I'm serious. I have no skill. I'm not a writer. I'm not even a polished English speaker. I, I speak like I talk. And I'm more concerned about the message, not the noun and the verbs. And I said, but this, this keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger in my life. And it's, it's coming to life so much on its own. 
and she she stopped everything and sat down and was like, well, you know, what's happening? And, and I told her kind of how everything was unfolding with it. And I said, I really think it's going to turn into a book. And I have fought for a long time, almost four years, to stay away from the public speaking. And I said, the messages have gotten louder. The signs have smacked me in the face. I can't really outrun it anymore. It's like I have nowhere else to go but to do this. And she's like, well, let's do it. And that happened in a matter of, I've been writing this book, supposedly I started it three years ago and I wrote two chapters and stopped. And from the time I told her until the book made it to the shelf, I wrote 62 chapters in four months. Wow. And published it. Yeah. That's how quickly it unfolded. I could not write it quick enough. I couldn't come out. Sometimes I would wake up at two o'clock in the morning and four chapters would come out. Just, I couldn't type fast enough. See, and that that's when I kind of feel this, um, you know, I think somebody, I'm trying to remember who I read it. Um, somebody was saying that there are all these books that haven't been written that God is actually giving to people to write. Because I think that our stories, our stories are so important to share, to encourage, and mm-hmm. and to, to give back hope to right now. I mean, there's a lot of people who are very hopeless. And I think like stories like yours and, and the mm-hmm. title in itself is, is definitely going to catch somebody's eye. Because, well, kind of, it's politically incorrect to say. <laughs> now that's yes. just stupid. But it, but there's, there's such um, I want to say a realness to it. Like it's like well, there's oh. a curiosity because I think you're right. It catches people off guard, and then they look at it and say, "What is this?" And that's the whole point of a title is to get them to pick it up and at least take it to the next step. But I have found in this little trial run, because there are big launches in, in two days, but I've had a trial run that people are not ready for it. They're not expecting the content. And it has, it, it has them engaged, almost snared is really the word I want to use, because it pulls them in so hard that they can't run away from it anymore. Oh, that's powerful. Kind of like what happened to me. You know, I got in it, and it's like, I can't run anymore, and I refuse to let these things and stuff I've went through the last 25 years not have a purpose. Well, and that's- got to have a voice. That's also in the title. I mean, it's now, that's just stupid, but it's living from pain to purpose, and I think, see, that in itself, that's that's Mm -hmm. a huge message. Because everybody has dealt with pain, but it's how Mm -hmm. we can take that pain and make it purposeful. How we can pull something from our experiences to push forward into a future that that gives us an insight that we would have never had going through that stuff. And that's exactly the push, the drive for me personally. I wanted to get their attention, which was the now that's just stupid. But to get it so that when I have it, I know I have a matter of a few seconds to say, we're going to take your pain and we're going to give it a purpose. Because everyone at some point in their life always says, you know, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What's my calling? And then they stop. They never go figure it out. And it's already within them. So it's not like you have to go that far. But you've got to get the junk out of the way because that's what's overshadowing it. And I had just reached such an incredibly painful low point that I said, I refuse. I refuse to go through all this and it not have a a purpose behind it. 
it can't just be to make my life miserable or to cry more or to be depressed more. It has to have a purpose, something bigger than just the lesson. Because I'm hard-headed, so sometimes I have to do it 20 times. And I don't want just the lesson. There's got to be something more than that. And that's what um, that's what came came out of it, and it gave it breath. And, I mean, it goes back all the way to it, – it covers a span of about 25 years when I just, just tiptoed into adulthood. But it talks about some things before that. And I'm careful about childhood things. Because people are like, oh, no, I don't want to go back to that. And it's like, you don't have a choice. Things didn't usually start in your 30s. Well, it's so, it, it's interesting yeah. that you say that because I had a conversation with my brother today. And in mm-hmm. this conversation, he he was telling me that you he knew that you can change your ideas. You could change the way that your mind mm-hmm. thinks, but you could he didn't think you could change your subconscious. But that's not mm-hmm. true. And he said that most of your subconscious thoughts were formed when you were between the ages of five and 10. Now, Mm -hmm. if you think of that time span, those five years, okay, and it it could be, it's definitely childhood. I know it was like very, very early childhood. If you Mm -hmm. think about it, if, if you had a very painful childhood that has formed your subconscious, the way that you, when everything is quiet, you can't control your thoughts, go back to those, to those places, those insecurities, that fear, that unforgiveness, or those traumas. If you don't deal with them, how do you move forward? So it's important, I think, what you did by going back into your past, going into that place it is is actually very using wisdom. I think it's very smart. I think you have to because it's kind of like fixing a wound and you fix the top of it and you cleaned up the top of the wound and you put a little print you know band aid over it. Now you think you're pretty, but if you didn't get the underneath, the yuck's coming back out and it will come out. It's either going to come out in bad relationships, um, bad friendships where you treat people in weight and drinking, uh, drugs. It's coming out. And you don't have that choice. It's just a matter of when and how long and how painful that you want to endure it. But it has to. And, and things that you do today are connected to what you did yesterday are connected to when you're 5 and 10. It's all connected. And it's always pretty much the same things. It just has different names and different events around it. So do you, you keep doing the same things over and over. You know, I'm sure you have done this, and I know I have because... You know, we have girlfriends where it's like, why do you keep finding the same deadbeat? The last 20 people, they're the same. It's a different face, different color of eyes. Same person over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Why, why, why? Because you never stop to fix it. So same when type did, of job. So when did, you, when did you realize that you had to go back and fix the stuff from the past in order to change the things of your future? I think when the lessons continue to get quantified, you know, when, when the lessons coming around about the 20th time, it's like, come on, what am I not getting? And the thing is the things that we ask ourselves, we already know the answer to what we're trying to do is find a slick way out of it. We, we we know the questions, we know the answers, and we know the faces. We just don't want to deal with it because we buried it for a reason. Because we don't want to deal with it. We want to forget it. We don't want to we don't want to accept it. 
We don't want to believe it happened. We don't want to think that these people are like this. I mean, whatever the case may be. The bottom line is we don't want to deal with it. And once we become an adult, we're like, we don't have to. Who's going to make us? So we bury it. And then it pops up somewhere else. And then we bury it and it pops up somewhere else. So I've always had that mentality of needing to know why. It can be a tremendous asset. It can be a tremendous detriment as well. Um, But I've always wanted to know why. And if you think back to however far back you go that the issue started, you at least have to start at that point. But I promise you, it was there long before then. It just may not have shown up. But you have to go back as far as you can say, this is a starting point. This is when I noticed I got off track. And then from that point, farther back is the point that you're usually hiding. And it'll come up. And I don't push people. Um, because I take them back to the point where they feel the safest. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. But go back to that point. Because if you stay in that point for a little bit, the rest of it will come up. It will come up by itself. So It always comes up. When you had to start to deal with this, like mm-hmm. were you were – you, <laughs> I guess were you dealing it with it in a spiritual way? Like were you – Were you praying about it? Were you asking God to reveal it? Because one of the things that um, that I think a lot of people don't understand is that, see, God, we think that our past is in our past, but Mm -hmm. we can actually take Jesus where we are now, bring him Mm -hmm. into that past and Mm -hmm. fix those hurts and those wounds. Because, see, he he's within he's outside of time so he can go back into those places and then we kind of catch up to what he fixed even though it was in our past does that make sense exactly and and to to address your question is as you continue to go deeper into the past and the past can be as of yesterday and and i keep clarifying that because in dealing with people the minute you say let's go back in time they're like look keep my mom and dad out of it, da, 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 da. They start putting all these boundaries up. And all that means is they're not ready. And honestly, I don't waste my time. And I tell them that, you're not ready. This is how you do it. It's not rocket science. But if you put the boundaries up, you're not ready. And that's okay. You don't have to be ready. But I'm not going to stand here and make you be ready. Because until you're ready, we're wasting time. You don't have all the lessons yet. That means it's going to get worse. And you're going to have to deal with more things. So what made a transitional point with me was when my hard-headedness got tired of going around the same mountain. I latched on to my faith to say, there's got to be a different way. I know it's there. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. But I'm not going around this mountain again. I can't. So it, as I matured as a woman, my faith matured. Now, I don't, I, I put this out there because me and, me and God fight all the time, all the time. We battle it back and forth, back and forth, because I want to reach back and say, okay, I can take it from here, and then I'll go do it, and he slams it to the ground. It's like, nah, no, nah, not yet, not yet. So it's a constant thing, because some people say when, you know, you get your faith, and it's like, okay, well, I, I, I'm not there yet, and I used to do that. I used to do that with, with Gordon. I used to do that with my friend Victoria. I'm like, I'm not there yet. And I would kind of look at him like, oh, 
okay. They planted seeds, and I had to grow up in that area in order to build that faith so it could help me, and I could move this thing along a lot quicker and build a stronger foundation. Was it there in the very beginning? No, because my faith wasn't there in the very beginning. I knew of church. I went to church. I had zero relationship with God. There was no back and forth. So that had to be established. Well, I also think that sometimes as you're establishing that relationship, you know, especially if if you've come from a, I guess, a background where trust was an issue, it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to trust God in saying, okay, you're going to, you're going to fix something from my past. You're, you're going to, how how can you change that outcome? It's in the past. It's dead. It's gone. But, but, Mm -hmm. but when you trust him, when he says, I can do all things, right. (laughs) You know, that's, and that's where faith comes in and understanding that, you know, that wasn't a punishment for me. And most of, I shouldn't say most, quite a few of the issues that we deal with and quite a few of the issues that I bring out in the book are like, as much as you feel like they were at you and directed at you, they really weren't. The lesson wasn't, why did they do this to me? The lesson was, why did you let that happen? Why did you set that boundary so low? Why did you take so much? And it's getting people to turn around and say, sometimes the the teaching and the lesson wasn't, wow, I just messed that up and I just need to learn that. No, you need to continue to grow from the inside out. And that's where faith comes into play. And that's where that strength and that relationship of actually having the relationship. I had to be taught how to have a relationship with God. Because I remember the first time I told my friend Victoria, I'm like, look, me and God went to Walmart today. She's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, what, what? Let me rephrase that. And she goes, no, no, that's okay. And I was like, well, you know, I was kind of talking to him on my way there and had to do this. And she's like, but that's what you're supposed to do. That's what is not taught is he walks with you in your everyday life. And he loves Walmart. <laughs> Just <laughs> saying, he loves yeah. Walmart. <laughs> now my anti-Walmarts will be slamming me with emails. But, but I happen to, you know, go there and I go in there. I'm like, Lord. You know, you know how I am. You know, when these people just like get in my two feet space and then they want to take so long and it's always the aisle that I get in that the cashier leaves and I just need you to breeze me through this door. Well, he puts me near people and get in my two feet space and the cashier leaves and I just laugh. I'm like, you just got jokes today. You just got jokes. But there's always a lesson in there somewhere, always. And so I've trained in learning to walk that walk, good, bad, or indifferent, walk that walk with him to say, there's a lesson here. And sometimes sometimes the lesson is me showing somebody extra kindness or me getting a lesson back of, you need to slow down. You know, we were talking before we went on air on how the day went. And I can look back now. Now, you asked me that question, I answered you. You know, that it was chaotic and crazy and blah, 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 blah. Now, in talking to you, I can look back and say, no, he was trying to get me to slow down. He was trying to get me to slow down. There was no reason to rush and make other people stressed and do this and do that. And, and when I finally was forced to slow down and stop, things were smooth sailing. So sometimes our lesson gets confused because we want it to be something that isn't about us. And it's always about us. Well, that's what we think. That's what we think. Yeah. We, we love to think that, you know, oh, it's, it is about it. It's about me. And this is really about me. And sometimes, well, most of the time, it really isn't about you. 
It's usually about right, not about else. you in that sense, but something yeah. that you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's easy for me to say, you know what, Lord, you need to put a little filter on her mouth because she's hateful. Instead of saying, maybe I delivered the message a little rough. Maybe I hit a button in her. We always want to look at that other person that they needed to do something when usually that situation is geared towards something we need to address. And that's hard. That's hard when you've got a lot of junk inside of you, when you're already hurting, when you're already broken, to keep looking because it's easy to say, well, fine, you know, it's just me. Then everything's my fault. And so we bounce from one extreme to another, and it's like, nope, that's not it either. So it took being grounded in faith and realizing you're not alone. There are answers. There's ways of doing it. And you have to let go of that control. And when I was able to, to do that, the pieces could go back together. And that's what I, I think is, you just hit it right on the head, is the control. When we mm-hmm. surrender the control back mm-hmm. to to the author and finisher of every perfect work, then then he can guide our steps. He can open up the places. He can send the people. He It's, it's about what he is doing, not mm-hmm. about what we're doing. And I think that most Christians really struggle with with being in control because their whole life has been so out of control because if right. you, if you think if you going back to what we were talking about earlier <laughs> you know those hurts between 5 and 10 or in your early childhood it was because mm-hmm. th- you could not control the circumstance because you were a child so as an exactly. adult we we tend to say uh uh-uh, uh this isn't happening anymore I have the right. reins now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so how, how are you able, especially with all that stuff, how are you able to say, okay, God, Jesus, take the wheel? <laughs> Cause that's you, really what happens. When you hit rock bottom enough. And that's why something, some people, including myself, I put my, myself in that pile. We go through the same thing over and over. And you keep rebuilding and you get back and you get back on your feet and somehow you're in the same situation a year later, or two two years later, three years later, whatever your, your cross is that you're not wanting to learn, the punishment gets worse. You don't get the smack on the hand. You get the knockdown. You get, and now you're going to lose this. And now you've lost friends. And now you've lost a job. The, the, pe- the punishment for the crime gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because the lesson's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think people, some people, I think it's a gift when they learn the lesson sooner and quit fighting it so much. And then there's people like me who just have to take it all the way down to the wire. And when you finally hit rock bottom enough, when you're finally low enough, when it finally takes all your effort out of you enough, you don't even have to try to surrender. You're just like, here. I can't even lift it up to surrender to you. Here. I've messed everything totally, completely up. Here it is. You know, it's interesting because as, as you were talking and I was having this vision and I, I kept I kept seeing this clay. I just I know I didn't see Play Doh. Well, I said Play Doh in my yeah. brain, but that's what yeah. I mean. Play-Doh. I just I just saw clay. And it's like yeah. that when, when we just completely just fall at our master's feet and we just become the clay, 
then yes. he can start building us and structuring us in, in such a way that there are no more cracks, that there, there are no more holes, that there are, that it's a strong foundation, that it's able to withstand the heat because the clay has to go into the heat, but it has to be prepared properly because right. that, and I, I, I think what, what you're saying, <clears throat> excuse me, about um, that the lessons get harder. I, mm-hmm. I truly believe that, that our father is a good daddy. So I don't believe he. Oh, pun- absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, so I just wanted to, and I know that's not what you think, but I just wanted to clarify mm-hmm. for anybody who was listening, that that God is a good father. He is a good, good daddy. So he doesn't. These things that come across our path, okay, they're not coming from him. This is not coming to hurt us. It's not coming to destroy us because it, it, it says in the word, it says that I, I have good plans for you in Jeremiah mm-hmm. 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you and there are plans for a hope and for a future. It's not to destroy us. So No, no, no. When we, and it's a, it's a situation we get into. Right. But what, but, but, but what I think that God is trying to, what, what we're, what he's, doing is as I think because as the lessons get harder this stuff has to come out and it and the mm-hmm. the best thing that like you were talking about like if you have a cut if you just take care of the surface well there's bacteria there's there's an right. infection underneath and what happens if you you don't treat it you can become sepsis you can become mm-hmm. so it could become so big that it takes over everything so it would mm-hmm. affect your work it would affect your relationships it would affect your life it would affect right. everything because it, you're basically filled with this this incredible bacteria that needs to get out. You need an antibiotic, and that exactly. would be Jesus. <laughs> exactly, and that's it. It 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 was interesting because you know we both came to that of uh, uh, filling clay, and and I remember, I remember the day that I knew there was no more going forward. And all my skill sets of running corporations over the years and the connections and the, and the blessings that I've had of being and being intelligent in the business world, I could not use any of that stuff. I couldn't even lean on a friend. I had nothing that used to get me out of jams before. I could not rebuild. And I remember sitting on my living room floor and I had a tablet. And I, I sit there and I'm like, I, I can't get out of this mess. So I started writing what the messes were and I have a big living room and I had paper all over the floor of names and situations and messes and, and paint and hurts all over. And when I looked at them, I thought, these are all my building blocks and they, my, all my Legos came crashing down. And I thought this time, and see, that's where that decision comes in. That's that. When people say, you know, what what is that one thing? It's changing. It's that decision to come in and say, I I can't put all this back together. I've done it a hundred times, and then and it always ends up at this place. That's when I pulled in my faith, and I was like, I need a strong foundation. I need to do this your way because it's clear my way is not working. My way buys time, but it doesn't work. And so I had to do the three things that I talk talk a lot about in the book is I had to feel what I didn't want to feel, what was not going to go anywhere until I felt my way through it to the other side. That's a lot where my faith had to come in because those were scary times. I fixed what I could fix 
And then I created an ambassador to give him what I could not fix. And then I had to forget. And that means I had to get rid of some of the junk that was not serving in me anymore. It was making me more angry or making me more sad or making me feel less than a woman or a friend or a, a mate. You know, those, that, all those negativities, all those tapes that we play, I had, they weren't serving me in any hopeful, positive way. And every time I'd want to rush and start feeling a better, it's like, oh, I got this. I'm getting ready to take the reins back. It's like, nope, that's where I always make my mistake. We're going to do it this way. And it took a lot of time during the work. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of crying. It took a lot of fussing. Me fussing back and God saying, I'm, I'm not getting this. You're not hearing me. I know you're not hearing me. And then there was always things to let me know. Yeah, yes. You're just mad. You just want to rush it. You're not, you're not listening. And that's the kid in me. And the immaturity in me. And the faith that needed to grow in me. And piece by piece, block by block, foundation by foundation, it started getting built. And during that time, I journaled the good, bad, and the ugly. And I wrote questions. And I wrote the dumb thoughts I had, the stupids. I wrote the stupid thoughts out. But then I wrote questions that got me out of that messiness, questions I got from my faith, questions I got from my tribe, my circle, my close circle who really has my best interest at heart. I had to weed out a lot of people. And that's the journal became chapters, became sections, became the book. Wow. You know, I, I think you also hit on something so important. And that is who do you hang with? Who are the people mm-hmm. that minister to you? Who are the people who speak into your life? Are they, are they speaking hopes? Are they speaking um, destiny? Are they, they, they speaking goodness? Are they speaking love and acceptance and, and just support? Or are they sitting there beating you up? Because there are so many people who are, mm-hmm. are unfortunately, they, they have surrounded themselves with people who are actually sent to prevent them from ever, ever fulfilling their destiny. Mm-hmm. And that is so sad. That, that When I talk about that, figuring out your tribe, and I tell people, pick five, no more than ten. Because I assure you, you don't have no more than that. I know a lot of people being in the business world. And a lot of people depend on me, and they look for me for guidance in the business industry, and as well as friendships. But when I had to pick five people, five people that I could write their name on the palm of my hand, that loved me for me, that did exactly what you said, they guided me. They either brought me back to my faith, they would help me walk my way through it, they would tell me when I was wrong, they would tell me, you need to think that. When they totally loved me unconditionally, when I set up those guidelines, because of those building blocks, because I had to learn what love was. I just studied love for like three weeks. And I continue to study and continue to learn. And I've always studied that section because it's always been difficult for me. And I'm like, I remember telling my friend Victoria, who, who is really such a spiritual guide to me, and I'm like, I didn't really understand what a friend was until her. And, you know, she's helped, you know, with, with that love of studying. Because it's all in there. It's all in the Bible. You can get a new version, an old version, an in-between version. It's all in there. It, you just have to study. you got to open it. And that helped so much. So I had, I had to look at my world of knowing lots of people. I could, I could hang with 40 people on a weekend if I wanted to. But when I set up some criteria, it was a struggle to come up with five. 
I had three that I knew for sure. No doubt. No hesitation. They, no hesitation. They have me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, every, in every way possible. And we're so good for my soul and spirit. Three solid. I struggled to get to five. And I write a chapter in there as you can pick five, no more than 10. Because you'll probably write 10. And then you'll, you'll weed those down. And it's not a better than, or who do you think you are? It's really like turning off some of the noise to know a lot of people. Um, but you've got to look at this give and take, and you've got to look at what their path is in, in, in their spirit. When you walk around them, an easy test is, do you feel uplifted as soon as they walk in the room or not? That's a real quick, easy test. If you tense up, if you're like, oh, what now? What are they going to want now? Do you look at your phone and think, what do you want? That's not a person in your tribe. It's it's And it's not a judgment. It's knowing that these are the things that you give out and these are the things that you need back to function as people. Well, that's the whole and, thing is that, you know, yeah. Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Mm-hmm. He had 12 yep. disciples that he hung with. But there were three <laughs> that he took for certain things. It was, right. it was um, Peter... John, it was Peter, uh, John, and uh, Peter, John, and <laughs> I can't think of the third one. I can't, uh, Peter, J- uh, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, knew Pe- I was thrown out there. I was like, she yeah. can't get there. Yeah. She can't Pe- get there. So Peter, James, and John. So Peter, James, mm-hmm. and John went to the mountain of transfiguration where they actually saw Jesus as Christ. They saw him in his glory when they, they actually encountered Elisha and Moses. That was the mountain of transfiguration. They were there. When he, when Jesus raised the child from the dead, he took everybody out of the room except for James and, and Peter and John and the parents of this little girl. So they were there. When he was actually at the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked them, he brought them closer, pray for me, Peter, James, and John. Mm-hmm. So so as much as there were 12 <laughs> that right. he was close to, it was Peter, James, and John. It was those three who right. he trusted, who were his tribe. Right. And you have to know that. And I wanted, and this goes back to the issues, that underlying current that you didn't fix. You fixed the topical, but not the underneath. I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted to be everyone's friend. I wanted to be needed by everyone. There was no boundaries. It was just an all or none. And that's that bouncing back and forth. That, that people do from one end of the spectrum to the other. And the key is to get in the middle. And when people would ask questions, well, like like my tribe would say, well, what do you look for in a friend? My first reaction was, you look for something in a friend? I thought, you know, people just talk to you, you, you should just be happy. That was it. That was my extent of it. That was the teaching. <laughs> and they're like, um, it's a little bit more than that. So some of the things, and it's hard when you're an adult to say, I never got that. I never got that training. I didn't get those teachings or those lessons. And there was a lot of reasons of why I didn't get it. It's not necessarily poor parenting. You know, it's the environment. And like in my particular case, I grew up almost 400 pounds going through high school. And you can imagine, even if you've never had weight issues, what that was like in school. People are so shocked that bullying happens today. And I'm like, really? No, it's been around for a long time. Lots of stuff going on. So there's a lot of teachings that go on that aren't necessarily verbal. 
And now I can look at that after dealing with so many of the weight issues and dealt with them over the years is that taught me a lot. It taught me how to read people. It taught me how to listen to people. I can walk into a room and just scan the whole room and get all kinds of information without having to talk to a soul. Just from being overweight. Just from knowing the boundaries. Just from knowing how people are. So there there are things like in this particular book when I talk about going to church and leaving the church and then fighting with God because I thought he had brought somebody back in my life as a gift and it didn't turn out to be a gift. And I'm like, why would you do that? You know, that battle, and you mentioned it earlier, that God doesn't bring you things to hurt you or harm you. But you, sometimes we have to get to that point. We have to get past the blaming, because it's human nature to blame, and then to work through that to realize what I thought you brought it for wasn't what you brought it for. Because I can look back and thought you brought somebody back that, and then you yanked them away again. And it's like, no. I brought them back to heal you. He brought them back to heal me. And I couldn't see it for a long time because I was angry and I did blame him and I struggled with my faith. But you have to work through that. It isn't like, well, I'm done with you, God. No, you have to keep working through that because you're in a relationship with him. Say, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And then the wives would be like, wait a minute. What if it was something else? What if there was another reason? And now I can look back to say, you didn't bring him back in my life to hurt me. You brought him back in my life to heal me. I had to, I had to start over. And I had to be completely broken to rebuild from the inside out. And now, oh my, it's the greatest gift ever. And even though at the time it was my greatest pain, and that's that taking pain to your purpose, it was the most tremendous pain I've ever felt. Now I can look, and just a matter of months later, I can look and say, you gave me my greatest purpose out of this. I'm finally over pain that I've carried for 25 years. And I'm finally being able to let go and to live and to heal and be healthy and to feel clean and with a clean slate again, and and you're putting me in positions and meeting people like you and other people that are just, it's, it's happening so overwhelmingly positive. So there's this... For my, there's this, for my purpose. Absolutely. There's this picture of, um, and I've seen it on Facebook a bunch of times, and there's this little girl, and she's hugging this little teddy bear. She's just squeezing it so, so tight, and Jesus is looking at her, and his hand is out, and he's like, give me the teddy bear, and she's looking at him like, no way, but what she doesn't see is behind his hand. He's holding this huge, huge teddy bear, like three times the size of the little teeny tiny teddy bear that she has. And I think sometimes that's what we forget is that we think that if God is saying, listen, just give this to me because I have something so much greater to give you in return. If you just mm-hmm. give this to me. And I, and I think that's one of the things about the cross. See, he went to the cross because it was so much. He did such a bigger thing for us. He did such a, he gave us such a greater mm-hmm. gift than we'll ever actually understand or realize. I just don't think that we we understand what the cross did. But when we, like you were saying, that you, you try to figure out your stuff, 
But the stuff that you couldn't figure out, you said, okay, let me put it into a basket. Let me just go bring it to him. Let me give it to Mm -hmm. God to deal with. But there are so many times that we bring that basket and as we're like walking it over to Jesus, we're like, well, wait, mm-hmm. oh, let me take that one back. <laughs> wait, I, I can still deal with that one. Oh, you know what? And before you know it, we're handing him an empty basket because we mm-hmm. still think because of our insecurities, because of our misunderstandings, because of our hurts and because of our confusion, because of the things that have happened, we still don't trust him enough to say he's going to handle it. He's going to take that. So how... When, when you when you started to deal with this stuff and you brought it mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. how did you finally have that that peace? Like, how were you able to say, like, okay, seriously, I'm not taking it back this time? <laughs> well, now the first few weeks, and I literally have the end basket, and it's it's an end basket like you would have in your your office, and I keep mine in the office most of the time, and I'll throw things in there. And sometimes the things don't need to stay very long. You know, it's a pondering. It's a you know, I know I need to you know, take care of this by tomorrow, but I'm not sure what to do yet. So I'm just going to sit over here for a while. Sometimes they are short-term things. Some things are bigger and they're not. And the first few weeks when I had all my building blocks and all my sheets of paper, that's what I, those were I call my building blocks. I would put them in there and then I'd want to go through them. I'm like, you know what? I, I, let me, let me downsize this. This is just silly. Let me downsize it because I wanted to take it back. because I was getting scared. It was quiet and people that are controlling and people that go a mile a minute and creative-minded people, we don't do well in quiet. When our thoughts are not busy, when we don't have 92,000 things going on at one time, we start to get scared. Now, how some people can only function with one or two things, I'll never understand that. But we get scared at too much quiet because when we're quiet, the demons come, the thoughts come, the pain comes, the hurts come. So we stay busy and loud all the time. But when you hand things over, you're taking things out of your brain, and uh, pretty soon it's getting kind of quiet and peaceful in there. And that's that battle of going back and forth. That's the fear. So now we're fighting fear and faith. And that was the battle, fear and faith. I'm starting to get afraid, so I'm going to pull some of these back because, you know, that, that bill's coming due and that situation's coming due, and I ain't heard nothing, so I'm pulling it back. Fear and faith, fear and faith. In the first few weeks, it's funny, I'd start to reach for something in the inbasker, and I'd either knock over my drink on my desk or I'd knock another file over. Something always made me aware of what I was doing in that moment. And I was like, okay, okay, I know. I said I was going to leave it. I'm going to leave before a week. And this is, this is why whew, he's a God of patience because I'm hard-headed. And I'd, and I'd set it on the calendar like I'm just going to leave it a week and see. And nothing would happen because you're not know, setting no time limit up for God. But I would do it every time for a while. And then as the weeks would go by, and time, I needed time under my belt. I needed the rush to stop, just to slow down. I, it would get easier to leave it in there. Even getting close to that 11th hour, it got easier. And sometimes it was right on the spot. But one thing I was learning, now why I'm letting go of all this, I'm working on building my faith. Because when you move something out of your insides, when you, like, when people quit smoking or they quit drinking soda pops or um, they're making some other change, when you move something out of your life, you've got to put something back in it. We, we, we can't have a bunch of holes. And the, the key is to put something constructive. So while I was busy myself for 12 hours stressing over something that was never going to get solved, and when I set it aside, I all of a sudden had a lot of time. So what did I do? I had to create a new normal of healthy. 
healthy in every area of my life, healthy in setting up a Bible study, why I actually did it, not just sit there and read and said, well, that was sweet. No, you're going to study this. You're going to study it. And, and I would make myself study it and then have to regurgitate it later that night. Like, what did you learn today? So I knew I'd have to remember it and apply it. So I did that. And then physically, I started exercising, working out. And if you know anything about me, you know I hate that word. I get 20 root canals before I go to the gym. Hate. Hate. It's a deep word. And I hate it. But I would do it. Because I needed to work on my body. I needed my body to feel better. And then I started reading more positive writings. Not a lot. Just to put positive thoughts. And, and ways of looking at things because the world is so noisy and it has so much negativity and pain and ugly going on. Then I had to find a give back because sometimes when we're wrapped up in our own mess, we forget about other people and other things and we start feeling sorry for ourselves. So I created and, and I made this a part of the book. I thought, what what's important to me? What will I stick with? I don't want to do something for a day or a week. What will I stick with? But diabetes is a big, huge thing in my family. Both my parents died from it. And um, the book is dedicated to a gentleman that has diabetes, and, and, and he's tremendously important to me. And so I knew that was a cause that mattered. Pets, humane society, are a cause that matters to me because it mattered to my brother, and he died. And it, it, I was creating the connections with people that were important to me. And then my cousin got murdered. And so domestic violence is a huge thing. And interesting enough, I have those stories in my life that were part of the book. So you see how this is all starting to come together and all the ties are being in, in woven without me knowing it until I was looking back in hindsight. So those three charities um, became very, very important to me. So I found ways of giving back to those so you... because I didn't want it to be all about me. So I, work on, I worked on it anyway. Now it's it got on a higher level and it's in every single book are those three charities. So you started your pain from that pain. You found your yes. purpose. You found yes. a cause. You found a reason to mm -hmm. share these stories, to enlighten people, to, as you said, to give back, to move forward, and to shed a light on something that needed to have attention. Right. And the whole, the whole key, I, I think the purpose for me in, in going this is many years ago, I used to do public speaking. I traveled overseas and through the United States, and I, I walked away from that um, for a lot of personal reasons, but I walked away from that. But it was the only time I could say I was happy. I've done a lot of wonderful career choices. I've had a lot of, of great doors open, but to be happy at what I was doing was when I was out on the stage helping people find their, their purpose, change their lives. I work with morbidly obese people and helping them to uncover because when you lose all that weight, it's a scary, scary world. Um, and it's very hard because you're so far behind in times. And that's why many put their weight back on as a shield because nobody teaches them how to be thin. They work on the physical, the nutrition, and the physical, they don't work on the emotional part. And the emotional is what caused it. And that's the only way they're going to be able to solve that. And so I did that for a long time. But when I look back at my world and when the, probably one of the most important chapters in this book is when I battled God on, on bringing this gentleman back into my life because it brought my life full circle. He was there at my lowest point, And then 25 years later, he's there again. And so it was the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I 
I was at a really strong point and it had grown in my faith. And that's when I, probably the only time in my life I ever blamed God because I thought you brought him back to crush me. And that was truly my mindset. And he didn't. He needed, that gentleman was the only, only person that could get so deep inside of me to shake it up. He was there when so much happened years ago. And he was the, he, he is the only person that had that key to get in there to open that wound up. Nobody else had that key but him. And now I can look back and realize that he had to come back because I needed all that open up. It was time. It was time for me to do all of this so that I could go back there and help other people save their lives. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you're, you're helping people to find their purpose. You're helping people to, to deal with the stuff. Because if you, if you really think about it, you know, when I, I look in my life, I, I think about the, the difficulties that I've been through. But I think about, gosh, I, I can talk to somebody about this. And I can talk to somebody about that. And whoa, wait, I can mm-hmm. talk to somebody about that. And not from a place of, of uh, well, I, I've read about it. But from a place of, I've mm-hmm. experienced it. So I know exactly what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, that you know, there's... um. You know, Joyce Meyer wrote a book called, um, you know, Beauty for Your Ashes, because that's a mm-hmm. verse in the Bible that God will take our mm-hmm. ashes, the stuff that's been burnt up, the sins, the, the stuff, and, and, and he'll give us beauty for it. And I think that's what he's doing. What happens when you don't have that? This is, what, this is where my thoughts go. What happens if you don't have faith? What happens when you're not grounded in faith? What happens if God never, nobody's ever even introduced you to God before? So... What happens if you don't have that and you don't have a circle of friends or any friend, a true friend with that strong meaning of friend? And I really use that strong meaning friend. What happens to those people that don't have it? Those are the ones that need it most. Those are the ones that have what I think are the deepest pains and no way out of it. That's that driving force because I can relate to them. I can relate to to those that want to commit suicide. And I hear people say that's so selfish. And my first instinct is you've never been to that place then. Well, because I have no hope. Exactly. There's no hope. And it, right. And so it talks about that in, in the book, you know, pe- real life issues, because one lady had told me, and when, I, when you and I first chatted, I mentioned this to you. She said, because we talked about God and she's, she's very spiritual. And I'll, I'll put that out there. And I looked at her, and she was condemning me, and, and I know I picked a harsher word there. Um, she was trying in her version to, to uh, correct me on what she thought I needed to be in the spiritual world. And I listened to her because I was raised to be respectful. And when she was done, she's like, so that's what you need to do. And I said, no, that's what you think I need to do. And a, a lady in the store, and this was in a store that she was doing this. So a totally different woman came over from the aisle, and she's like, honey, mm-mm, let her go ahead and go on down the aisle. And she goes, I heard that conversation. She goes, you know what you are? You're a sleeper cell. <laughs> and she goes, you're a sleeper cell. You're what God sends out in the world because you're not afraid to, to if you say a cuss word, it doesn't mean, oh, you're never going to go to heaven. You're like, 
oh, God, I shouldn't have put that out there. Did I? I blew that. Let me go address the situation. You're, you're, you, you are a bridge between those that are way far out there to at least bring them to the door. Because everyone has different levels in their spiritual life and different relationships and different interpretations. And she was, and you're, you were explaining to her, and I was telling her, I, I, I will go to bat with anybody on my faith, but I'm not going to recite you every Bible verse. Because to me, those are, are proving things. I'm looking at my relationships. I know a rock bottom. I can tell you what he did. I can tell you what he did this morning. I can tell you what he did a little bit ago. And I'm good with that because it's growing and more and more, and it's strong. But if I have to recite verses to make you feel like I'm spiritual, it's probably not going to work. And there are people that say, you really go to church? I'm like, mm-hmm. And I really get mad, too. And I really have disappointments, too. And I really get frustrated, too. So she goes, you're just a sleeper cell. You're just a normal person that's working in your life every day. And I really like that, and I share that with people. And it's like, you, there are people that, that can turn people away when they talk about God. And, you know, I thought about that when I was writing the book, and I prayed about that, and I said, I need it in here because it wouldn't be here without God. But I want it to be in a way where people hear it. You know, I talked about when I left the church when I was young, and then I went back to the church. And and there's a lot of spiritual things through the book because I went back to God to say why, you know, and to help me understand this, and to help me know. It took me a long time to understand why I had to have this pathway and and why can't, like, the, the person that, um, you know, that he, that. I feel like he brought us back together. Why can't he stay? Why can't he be in my world? And it took me a long time to get to the point to say everyone has a season. And he's really done his job. I'm not saying he's not going to bring him back. I'm not saying that our worlds won't cross again. I'm not saying that I never get to, you know, I'll love him till I die. I may not just be able to be with him because as I look back now, if it happened to anybody else, I would tell him he served his purpose in your life. He came back, he opened up all your wounds, and he went away because you needed to heal him. You needed to find that place of home because I always gave him credit for making me feel like he was home. I don't care where we were or what we did. He represented home to me, and I did not realize I gave him that power I think to be so, my home. I think that sometimes what we do is we inadvertently give people the place that Jesus yes. is supposed to have. Exactly. And I had to come back and say, no, no, God, this was yours. But I didn't have the relationship with God back then. So see, you that's why I'm careful about working with those that don't have a relationship just as much, because you have to have that. So sometimes it's kind of like having um, like an athlete. You've got to have this training back here before you can go compete. And some of them don't have it. So let's work on getting those because let's work on the relationship. Doesn't mean you have to go to church every Sunday. That's a rule. Be careful on your rules. Start working with God first. And believe me, you'll want to go. Well, and that's the whole thing he does is he changes us from the inside. He works right. on, He works on us so that we mm-hmm. can be more like Christ. Because Christ right. wasn't in the church. Christ didn't, didn't wasn't in the synagogue. That's not where he was. Yep. He was with the sinners. Yeah, he went out. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, that's where you go. And like, I don't have nothing to wear. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That 
if you're worried about what you're wearing in there, you're going for the wrong reasons. Don't go. That's and right. I'm the first to say, you don't need to go. Let's just sit right here and do it. Yep. And I think that and, a sleeper cell is, is such a, a perfect description of what God is doing right now. Because I think that mm-hmm. this book, as, as much <laughs> as, much as it, it seems that it's like there's there, God is thrown in it, I, I think that God is actually the focal point of it. Because it shows the before and then it shows yeah. the after. And it leads you to that. And it's it's real with it on every situation because I have a section on, on work, on business. I have a section on relationships. I have a section on uh, relationships with your parents, not dating relationships. Dumb things we've done in our life. And then I talk about some serious things. There is there is domestic abuse in there. There is um, molestation in there. There's about being gay in there. There's murders in there. And there's a lot of happy positive, too, in there. This sometimes gets overshadowed because it's the negative spreads and it's easy to focus on the negative. So then there's inspirational. But I tell people it's not about unicorns and balloons and happy. It's about real life stuff. And, you know, I don't want to be motivating today or I'm not positive today. So now what am I going to do? Just waste the whole day? <laughs> it talks about real life stuff and how you can get through that. And some things you'll get through it well, and some times you're going to be a train wreck going through it. But you got to get to the other side because the beautiful part about the other side is your purpose has been waiting on you. It's nothing new. And I can look back on my life and I can take my purpose all the way back as far as I can take my purpose all the way back to 12 years old right off the top of my head. It's been there all along. It's just been waiting on me. Mm, That's powerful. That's a very powerful statement, seriously. Deborah. that's it right there. It's been waiting for you. And I think that yeah. that really, that's the case with so many people. You know, writing a book is a scary proposition, having that idea. But what you talked about, how you talked about that, it, it overcame you. That it became mm-hmm. so, it was like breathing. You had to write. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's really a key. When something needs to be born, you know, when a mother is pregnant, you mm-hmm. know, the doctor at first tells her, okay, now start pushing because he has to kind of show her what to do. But as when right. she truly gets into labor, she doesn't need that doctor to tell her when to push Mm-mm. because her, it no. takes it over. And all of a sudden yeah. she's like, I gotta push now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that's what God is doing. Um, I, I really believe he's going to do this through this book. And I really believe that, you know, Deborah, you have such a um a ninja calling <laughs> well, we'll call it you know we'll call it the ninja calling because you know you're going to be very stealth like and you're going to be dressed very differently that you're not going to be seen as a typical christian coming that you're but you're you're going to be effective and you're going to be able to get the job completed because there has been so much stuff and and unfortunately bless that that person who was like you know, persecuting you in the, I'm sure it was in a Walmart or some other store, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and it was, it, yeah, well, because stuff happens at mm-hmm. Walmart, you know, <laughs> I don't know, exactly. you know, that's because, a reality show. It right is. There. Well, that's because <laughs> real people live there. Real people work there. Real right. people inhabit that place. And God is just using, you know, these different ministries to, to go to, to the Walmarts, going to the malls, going to beauty shops. And he's, he's infiltrating his presence, his relationships with his sons and daughters. And he's going mm-hmm. to affect 
those who have been caught and, and been discredited by religion because religion right. points a finger and yes. what, what relationship does, it extends a hand. So it's, it's, it's a huge difference. And that's, I think there's so much of that needed. Unfortunately, a lot of churches and religion has become a business and gave it a bad name. And, you know, there's, there's good and bad in everything. And that's, that's always a heated subject. And it's like the biggest worry in my life is guarding my relationship because I don't have to be in the church to feel like God is there. Absolutely. Nobody does. He goes everywhere. Yeah. He, it, it, and, but I didn't know that. And that's the thing of, of learning is, oh, he goes everywhere. I, I have an 11-year-old, and, and he'll go around because I'll be like, God, I heard you. I know, I know what I need to be doing. Okay. And I'll have these conversations because it's an ongoing dialogue in my brain or in my head. And then here's my, my son will come around the corner, and he's like, who are you talking to? And before I used to say myself, and I was like, I'm talking to God, and I suggest you don't interrupt. And now <laughs> when he sees me do that, he'll come around. He's like, I know God's telling you that it's time for you to go in there and fix my dinner. I'm like, okay, we've got some work to do here. Hey, you know what? He's, but the fact that he believes that he's talking, that's one yes. step closer. That's one step exactly. closer than most I, of the people I want in church. Him to I want him to have that. He's 11. Mm-hmm. I want him to have that in his world. I don't want him to get where I'm at and was so late in life. And I don't, I have no regrets of, of the pains and the hurts and the dumb stuff. It's not about the regret um, because I believe this was the pathway that he already knew I was going to take. And it, and it is effective because I can look back at people and say, Oh, I've done all you've done. what? Oh no, 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 no. I got, I got you beat on that. I've done all this. And the whole point is to say, you know, I've done all this dumb, stupid stuff. And and in addition to all that, I had to learn late in life. And then on top of all that, I can still do anything that I want to do. And so can you. But you've got to do the work. You've got to you've got to do the work. Well, I think that it's um I think that this book is going to change many, many people. And if people want to get in touch um, with Deborah, you can actually go to her website, which is now that's just stupid.com, which I'm sure that, you know, how, how difficult was that to get on, on GoDaddy? <laughs> that was yeah, pretty exactly. Yeah, that was like, well, that just worked nicely. <laughs> so if you would like to get a copy of her book, you can actually purchase it at uh, now that's just stupid.com. You can also, I think that you're going to be starting some uh, speaking engagements about promoting the book. And I believe uh, yeah. I heard, I think that you mentioned you're contemplating putting together a conference. Yes. I've got a couple of them scheduled. I've actually got the dates today next year because I don't want to hand you a book and say, go figure it out yourself. Because honestly, and I'm not saying that they're dumb. If you could figure it out yourself, you would have done it already. Mm. And it's not that you don't have the answers, but it's nice to know that you're on the right path. Yes. And until you get your faith built, fear's going to run you. So how about if we just go through it together until you're ready to ride the bike without the training wheel? Well, I... so the whole point of doing the conferences is so they're not doing it alone. I think that's awesome. So there's definitely going to be a workbook to now that's yes. just stupid. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That, Videos, YouTube channel, all of it. Well, this has been so awesome. This has just been so great. And I love your stories. And But I also, I, I just love how real you are. Because you're really, 
you're talking about the stuff that the church is so afraid to talk about. You're, you're talking about the stuff that people have to deal with. And, and you're, you're really putting it into such a perspective as like, look, you're going to get through it as long as you just continue to hope, as long as you continue to push, and as long as you continue to, to pray. Because those are the things that you used to help yeah. you. Mm-hmm. So this has been so awesome. So um, if you guys would like to get in touch with Deborah or to order her book, you can go to nowthatsjuststupid.com. Also, they can find it on Amazon, correct? Yes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all of it. Perfect. It's Perfect. everywhere. That's it. And you're going to be seeing it on bookshelves, bookshelves, bookshelves. So when you, yes. when you pass by, you're going to go, well, that's just incredible. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That is just incredible. Deborah, this has been just so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Touch by Prayer. This has just been such a great show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I hope that you guys have been blessed by hearing Deborah and listening to her testimony. And I think it's really important for you guys to remember that God has a purpose for your pain. He has a purpose. He has a calling. And he just wants you to step into it. And all you have to do is just give him the reins so that he can take control and he can start leading you into your destiny. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I just bless you. Thanks so much for listening. And just remember to go out and touch someone. Good night.